This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And this morning, we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Hi there, Craig. Good morning. How are you? Very good, thanks. Before we talk about yesterday's big news from OPEC+, Plus, I wanted to get the latest from the markets. And another rise today so far. That makes three out of the last four days. Yeah, it's been a really positive week in the markets, which given what's driving it or what's seemingly driven it is impressive. Whether it's sustainable is another thing. The narrative seems to be that what's driving this is weak economic data from the US, a weak manufacturing PMI on Monday, a 10% decline in Jolt's job openings, suggesting we're starting to see a slack in the labour market. And what all this means is that we could be seeing signs of that weakness potentially translating through into slower rate hikes from the Fed. For me, that feels really like clutching at straws. I think it's probably more a reflection of the fact that we've seen around a 15% decline over the past month and a half in US equity markets and Global markets, of course, do follow what happens in the US. And I think it's probably a reflection of that more so than these small signs that maybe this weakness could translate through to slower tightening. I think the Fed is very much focused on the economy, but more so focused on inflation. If it doesn't see inflation peaking, then it's not going slow the pace of tightening. It's also said before that it's not just going to pay attention to one or two indicators, that it needs to see a stream of indicators before it starts to actually ease off the break. So like I said, I think there's a lot of straw clutching and we may see that unfold if we see a strong jobs report on Friday. If we see a hot report, then it really undermines the rationale for this uh, rally that we've seen this week. A weak jobs report, on the other hand, could really embolden investors in the short term if they really are buying into this narrative. And the turmoil we've seen here in the UK over that uh, mini budget now seems to have passed now the conservative party conference is over the pound has recovered to what it was before that uh, so-called mini budget Uh, but there's a long way to go of course Uh, we've got the bank of england in the next few weeks announcing their latest interest rate rise no doubt and it's still unsure as to what that will be Uh, at one point it was two percent other people are saying 1.5 maybe less even So it's recovered for now, but it really all depends on the details. And we keep getting mixed messages from the Chancellor about when that's going to come. They're suggesting it was coming later this month, that it was going to be before the November budget on the 23rd of November. Then a couple of days ago, suggesting we're going to have to wait till the 23rd of November. We will get uh, independent forecasts on the back of it from the OBR. So that's a massive positive as far as the markets are concerned. The kind of checks and balances associated with it, which is really important. It's just a case of when. And then it comes down to the details, ultimately. Are they going to put forward a plan that actually deals with the debt? That means that they don't need to borrow a lot more in the market to fund these tax cuts. Is it actually going to be seen as pro-growth or are the benefits of the tax cuts going to be outweighed by the costs of this stimulus in terms of the central bank tightening and what they means for mortgage rates and rents, etc. This will all come from the OBR review ultimately and when the details are released. If the details aren't good, then I don't think the markets and the risk react well and we could see this pound plunging once more. So there's a lot of pressure now on this budget whenever it is that we're actually going to get it. For now, the pound has recovered because of the openness to the OBR, because of the indications that it is going to balance itself and they are going to reduce debt over the medium term. 
Now it just comes down to the details. And this isn't just a UK story. The reason why we've seen such a, a vocal backlash against this mini budget from outside of the UK as well. Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, former Fed officials, current Fed officials weighing in on this is because it can have ripple effects around the world. At a time when central banks around the world are tightening aggressively um, and economies are slowing, things that could really uh, have a negative effect on the UK economy could have a negative effect on the European economy and could have a negative effect on the US economy as well. Obviously, it works more so the other way around because the US is a much larger economy than the UK that when we do see, for example, the old adage, if the US sneezes, the world catches a cold, just because it's not to the same extent, it doesn't mean there aren't knockout effects. And that's why we've seen such a vocal backlash. So it is going to be one to watch. And unfortunately, it's one we're going to probably have to watch for the next seven or eight weeks until we actually get more details. Now, what is not going to help, uh, Craig, is that uh, the oil price is up again. The price of Brent crude jumped about 2% to more than $93 a barrel uh, yesterday. And that, of course, after this announcement from OPEC+, Plus, that's a group that includes Saudi Arabia and Russia, saying they would slash production by 2 million barrels per day. The reason, they say, is they want to stabilise prices. Of course, we've seen prices go down in recent months. But uh, this big decision has raised fears that prices for motorists uh, will climb quite considerably. Exactly. And it's a massive issue right now because the group are suggesting that this is not a political decision. But that's obviously hard for consuming countries to take when one of the main members of the alliance is Russia itself, who started the war and triggered this surge that we've seen in energy prices. And cutting two million barrels a day is such a strong, bold move. It either suggests that they do see a strong recession next year and therefore they're going to see significant demand destruction or it suggests that they are focused more on price than they were alluding to. They are already suffering the backlash from the US and others towards this decision. Relations between the two are going to be extremely strained. The US suggesting that OPEC has effectively picked its side with regards to the war in Ukraine and is siding with Russia. And I expect we're going to see a lot more of this kind of rhetoric as the US and others and other governments try to shift the blame now for the uh, almost a feeling of inevitability about higher fuel prices towards OPEC siding with Russia and uh, away from themselves. Like I say, it's, it's a very difficult situation right now because from a market's perspective, we're seeing slower growth and recessions being priced in. So it's natural that we would see, therefore, an adjustment from OPEC. But this just seems like a very strong adjustment. The offsetting part of this is that this is a 2 million barrel a day cut from the current situation where, where the current output targets are. The problem is OPEC Plus as a group is vastly missing these targets. So the actual real terms cut compared to what we're actually seeing produced today to what we will see produced based on the back of these cuts could actually be much smaller. It could be less than a million barrels a day. That's still a lot. But it means that the headline figure doesn't really tell the entire story because many of these countries, not only are they missing targets and have been all year, but it's unlikely that they were ever going to actually uh, hit those targets. So I guess we'll see over the coming months what the actual net effect of all that's going to be because of the uncertainty surrounding the details uh, of who's going to be cutting what. But Needless to say, 
it's unwelcome at a time when we are finally seeing fuel prices actually fall at the pump back to a level that is seen as relatively sustainable and also at a time when we could have seen fuel price actually contributing to lower levels of inflation if we do see oil trading back around $100 a barrel maybe more then we could see that um, make that job that much harder and as we see while energy prices don't filter through to core inflation directly, there are second round effects in terms of higher costs for businesses and therefore higher prices, higher costs for households and therefore higher wage demands, that type of thing. So it can have indirect effects on the core levels of inflation, which makes central banks jobs even harder. We don't want to be all doom and gloom about this at this point in time. We've got WTI trading around 87.50, Brent crude trading around 93. We'll see how these things do develop. The markets haven't really overreacted yet to uh, the output cut at this point. One other big story we saw yesterday was that Elon Musk and Twitter are reportedly close to an agreement that would end their litigation and clear the path for this big buyout. The judge in the case, of course there's a trial planned, it's still on track for now according to the judge, but uh, it it could be that uh, they do reach a deal. Uh, Apparently Musk has been looking for a cheaper price though. Yeah, it's to an extent understandable. The price was agreed back at the peak, really, of the tech boom and valued the company at around $44 billion. Now, the indication is that the company is valued more at $30 billion, so you can understand why uh, Elon Musk wants to get out of this deal. Imagine signing up to a deal where on day one you're down $14 billion. It's not ideal and the markets are not exactly in a very good place right now. And it may take some time to actually recover some of that. Aside from all the other issues that are facing Twitter right now and the global uh, economic environment, the challenges which the company is going to face. But also, this has been such a public spat at this point. um, You wonder what it's done for kind of staff morale and for some of the more senior leaders within the company, how that's going to uh, work with Elon Musk and what he wants to do with the company. Is he going to bring in his own people, etc.? That's going to make life really difficult. He's made life really difficult for himself and he's tried to use the Twitter bot story and headlines to convince courts to allow him to pull out of the deal, which would have been extremely loss-making. Obviously, for current Twitter shareholders, it's the deal of a lifetime. Um, You're getting a massive premium on the price of the company at a level that you might not see again for many years. So it seems that Elon Musk has realised that taking this to court and fighting this in the courts is not actually going to work in his favour. And the report suggests he's been trying to renegotiate the price down in recent weeks in order to try and avoid court in the hope that Twitter shareholders want to see a speedy outcome in a way that still benefits them. And they've not backed down. And it looks as though this could be a case of a matter of days when this deal now closes at the original price and current Twitter shareholders are going to be far happier than Elon Musk. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot. This is the Oanda Podcast.